0: hallelujah thank you jesus thank you for the work that you have already done in this space lord you are the god over all things you are lord over all lords king over all kings we thank you god that you are in this room we don't want to take it for granted we don't want to just pass into the holiday and move too quickly But we thank you, Lord, that you're here. Do you feel God in this room right now? I hope you do. If you don't, he's here, I promise you. His tangible glory and grace is here. Quickly to the word of God, John 8, verse 2. I told you Wednesday night that pastor was going to do his best to be here this morning. So you know he is not well in his body. So he tried to do everything he could to come and preach this morning. But uh, he was not able to. He was ready to, but he was just not physically able to. So if you'll help me, I'll open the word and we'll say, Lord, speak to us this morning. Amen. John chapter eight, verse two. Now, early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear it. I'd love to know what he wrote. I have a feeling he just started with the oldest one in the circle and started writing down sins. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and then those that heard this, being convicted by their conscience, went one out, one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in his midst. Jesus has raised himself up and no one but the woman he said to her, Woman, were the accusers of yours, hast no one condemned thee? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I want to talk to you for a few moments from this subject, surprised by grace, surprised by grace. Lord, I know you're here. I know that you're, when you're here, you can do absolutely anything. And I just pray God that your word would just bring life and healing restoration and an energy to us that we have never felt before because of your word. And we ask it and pray it. And everybody said, In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Over twenty-five years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Death Row in Huntsville, Texas, with my dad, who was ministering to a handful of men who could not. There was a few that could come out, and then and then there's some that would come, some that wouldn't come. And I actually believe that this was during the Christmas season. And, They would come out into the end of what's called a cell block. This is a very old, old prison in in Huntsville before they moved it to Livingston. And that day room filled with concrete and metal, there was just a few men that day. And I was actually not supposed to be there. Uh, I wasn't really approved to go down that far into the, I was just a young minister at that time. And I was just there to help my dad out. And the chaplain asked me if I would like to go down and attend this little service on death row. I was obviously very apprehensive, you know, when you hear the words death row, right? That's that should cause a little anxiousness. So I I agreed apprehensively, and I sat down on a steel and concrete table singing with my dad. He's he led an a cappella song service out of some very used beaten-up hymnals that someone had handed down. And while we sang and this handful of men, there may be 15 men there. In the background, men screamed and cursed, men who were destined to die. They screamed and cursed and hollered and cried out. And these men that were in this room just began to worship the Lord. And in the middle of this, this young man, I don't know how old he was, but he seemed young to me. He bent over his chair in that day room ...over his little steel stool there, and he began to weep. The Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, Go pray for him. I hesitated because, man, this is death row. Lord, are you sure? I shouldn't even be here. I don't even know that I'm prepared for this. And the voice came to me and said, Go pray for him. So I reluctantly got up and walked over to the man who was bent weeping over his seat... I'd been to a lot of prison services in my lifetime with my dad, even at that point. I'd prayed for hundreds of men, seen God do many things in their life, but this was different. All I could do was put my arm around his shoulders as he wept, and I began to weep with him. I prayed in the spirit over him, and I wept. I probably was not even supposed to be there in that moment or in that space, but there I was. I never made it back death row I never saw that man again I did hear that he had actually died before his sentence was carried out not too many months later my question to God was why why would you put me in that place for that moment the Lord was very clear in his response David I want you to understand something there is not one person in any place that I cannot reach by my grace. My grace will bring you into a service on death row to put your arms around a man destined to die so that he could know no matter what he had done, I still loved him and paid the price for his sins. In the Gospels, we constantly see Jesus surprising people. In our text, the Pharisees had somehow caught this woman In the very act of adultery, a sin and crime that called for the death penalty. Here they were hoping to trap Jesus in a conflict between morality and mercy. And he bends down and he writes something in the dirt. Then he says, if any of you are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Slowly and silently, all you can hear are the stones of the accusers being dropped to the ground as they walked away. Then Jesus turns to the woman and says, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned thee? Then neither do I. Go now and leave your life of sin. So this adulteress walked away forgiven with the new lease on life. And once again, the Pharisees had to shrink away, stab in their cold religious hearts. You see, grace always aggravates the religious and surprises the sinner." Let me say that again. Grace always aggravates the religious and surprises the sinner. The proud and self-righteous always seem to find Jesus offensive. But prostitutes, tax collectors, uh, and notorious sinners always seem to find him welcoming. Paul, writing to Titus, says that when Christ uh, would appear as the incarnate God in flesh, he writes it in 2.11 that grace has now appeared. God's grace is so bound up in Jesus himself that to speak of Jesus appearing is to speak of grace appearing. Throughout the Gospels we see grace and how it conducts itself toward the sinner and how it moves towards sufferers. Jesus shows us how God's grace actually looks and speaks. To the adulterer in John 8, grace says, "'Neither do I condemn you.'" go and sin no more. To the tax collector Zacchaeus, grace says, come down. Today salvation has come to your house. Uh, To the leper, grace says, thy faith has made thee whole. Uh, To the woman of ill reputation that washed his feet, uh, grace says, your faith has saved you. Uh, Now go in peace. Uh, To the Samaritan woman at the well whose reputation uh, everyone gossiped about, grace said, drink the water that I give and you will never thirst again." Again. Uh, to the demon-possessed man on the beaches of the Gadarenes, Grace says, rise up uh, and receive your right mind. Uh, to the thief on the cross next to him, uh, Grace steps out of time and says, today you will be with me in paradise. All of these and more, the people that religious people would not even give the time of day, uh, they were all surprised by Grace. In John 6, we find one of the famous I am statements of Jesus in verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36, but I said to you uh, that you have seen me and you do not believe. Uh, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Uh, And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Uh, For I have come down from heaven. Uh, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who has sent me. Uh, in the middle of this discourse on him being the bread of life uh, is a very powerful promise of grace. Uh, what are you saying, David? Right in the middle of this, he says these powerful words if you will come to me i will by no means or no wise cast you out i know it sounds like really old english but it's really a very beautiful promise if you look at this he says this all that the father gives me not just most not just some but everyone it is god's deep delight to entrust reluctant sinful rebels to the gracious care of the gospel All those who will come. God's saving purpose for the sinner. Is a pure act of grace. We did not find God. God found us. I said God found us. God's will for the sinner. Will never be frustrated. God's will will never run out. God's resources will never run out. God's power will never run out. God will never stop moving. Upon the heart. Of those. Uh, who are far from God. We were not drag kicking and screaming toward Christ against our own will. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're in this house and you've been set free uh, by the power of the gospel, uh, it was God's grace that reached you. Uh, It was God's grace that was so powerful, so radical uh, that it reached down uh, into the middle of your mess uh, and it drew you out. I come to tell you ladies and gentlemen mothers and fathers husbands and wives whatever you do don't stop praying for those that you've been praying for God's grace I said God's grace is still reaching He's still working He's still moving and when the light of the gospel Turned so beautiful to us, we can't help ourselves. We will run to him and fall at his face, fall on our face before him, and say, Lord, I repent. But Jesus goes one step further, he says, All who come will nowise be cast out. What does this mean? This text literally reads, The one coming to me, I will not, not cast out. Sometimes the Greek used two negatives piled on top of each other. Paul used this a lot for literary forcefulness. So what Jesus is literally saying is this. I will most certainly never, never, ever cast you away. Why would he be so forceful in his language? Because he knows our nature. One author said, fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to think of reasons that Jesus would reject them. We are factories of fresh resistance to God's grace. And even though we may run out of tangible reasons to be cast aside, we tend to retain some vague sense that given enough time and given enough problems, Jesus is eventually going to grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. And we say, no, wait, as we cautiously approach this Jesus, you don't understand. I've really messed up this time in all kinds of ways. And grace simply says, I know. Well, it may just not be in my past, but it's in my present as well. Grace says, I understand. But you don't know. I can't break from, free from this uh, addiction, this problem. Anytime soon, I'm still walking through this. I'm still wrestling with this. Grace says, I'm the only person that can help you walk through this. And we say the burden is heavy and it's getting heavier. And grace saying, why don't you just let me carry it for you? You don't get this. You don't get this, Jesus. Most of my sins and offenses are not directed toward others, but they're actually directed toward the holiness of God. Grace says that's fine. Then I'm the only one suited to forgive you. I promise you, Lord, it's ugly. I promise you, uh, you're going to get fed up with all of my constant failures uh, and all of my constant prayers. I just keep coming back to you with the same problem and over and over. Uh, But grace says, uh, keep coming, Uh, keep coming, Uh, keep coming. Uh, Whoever comes to me, uh, I will never, ever reject. It seems like through grace, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items we need to qualify to come to Jesus. First, a conversion and thousands of times afterwards. And every time we come, Jesus is standing with open arms. If the gospels teach us anything, hear me very carefully this morning about Jesus. They teach us that when he sees the fallenness of this world and everything all around him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct uh, was to move towards sin and suffering, not away from it. You see, to the Old Testament with Jews, there's only two categories. You either were clean or unclean. And this had nothing to do with your physical hygiene. It had all to do with moral purity. So the problem was not necessarily dirt, but guilt. And so all, the Jews had all of these laws and this complicated system of offerings and rituals to make them morally clean. One particularly part of this system that stands out to me is that when an unclean person came in contact with a clean person, then that clean person became unclean. So the bottom line was this. That your moral dirtiness was contagious. And then Jesus shows up. We cannot fathom the sheer purity, holiness, and cleanliness of his mind, his heart, and his being. Totally innocent and without sin. And what's the first impulse when he comes into the proximity to lepers and prostitutes? He moves toward them. You see, grace was now reversing the Jewish system because when Christ, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, he did not become unclean, but the sinner now became clean. See, under the law, you had to distance yourself from the sinful and the unclean. But now grace is broken into the human condition. Uh, and there's a higher law of love. Uh, and it transcends the power and it completes the authority of the Old Testament law uh, that can only take you so far. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, here is grace uh, wrapped up in human flesh. Uh, walking among those that nobody want, had anything to do with. Uh, nobody wanted to even be close to. Uh, Or down the block from. But grace shows up. And does a work of redemption. The book of Hebrews. The writer is pointing us to Jesus. As the greater and most perfect. More perfect high priest. I don't have time to go through all of this for time's sake. But in chapter 7, he says, but Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he, Jesus, is also able to save us to the uttermost. Everybody say to the the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. This word uttermost is a word that we don't use anymore. How many times have you heard that word in the last seven days? Probably not very much. Another way to put it would be as he is able once and forever to save us completely. Those who come to God through him. The phrase to the uttermost is only one Greek word in the original language. It takes three words and makes it one. It means comprehensiveness, completeness, exhaustiveness. And it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. What is the point of us saying this today? We know our hearts and understand this. We are to the uttermost sinners and we need a to the uttermost savior. let me say that again we are to the uttermost sinners and we need a to the uttermost savior jesus did not come to die just to fix wounded people or wake up sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or motivate lazy people or educate ignorant people he came to die for the salvation of dead people We were dead in the trespasses of our sin, facing the wrath of God in judgment. But Ephesians 2 says, But God, but God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, has now made me alive together, has made me now alive together. By his grace you have been saved. See, we need, if we'll be honest, we need an to the uttermost Savior. See, we all have a tendency to have a small pocket in our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness that God has reaches into that little small pocket. And we believe that we are forgiven, but there's that one deep dark part of our life. Even in our present lives, it seems so unattractive, so ugly. So beyond recovery. So to the uttermost means this. God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring grace reaches down into the darkest crevices of my soul. And to those places where I am the most ashamed and most defeated. One author said this. It's maybe in those places, those dark places, that we want to hide the worst. Maybe that's the place where Christ loves us the most. The heart of God is most strongly drawn to the darkest part of my heart. He knows us to the uttermost. And he saves us to the uttermost. I said, he knows me to the uttermost and he saves me to the uttermost he knows everything that there is to about me yet he has the infinite power and grace to keep loving me I said he knows everything about me even the parts that no one else knows even the parts of my past where I don't want to share even those parts of my testimony that may not be pretty God still knows those places and God says I still love you there's nothing that will keep me separated i no, no, you got to get a hold of this. I think some of us have been staying too long. And we've forgotten where God brought us from. Honey, God found you in a pit. I said, God found you in a pit. You are living on death row. The death row of eternity. But God walked into that day room and opened the door and said, I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. It doesn't matter where you've been and what you're going through. His grace can save you. You should shout right now if you believe that. I said you should shout right now if you believe that. David, should we get on go on sinning? God forbid. Should we go on living like the world? God forbid. That's not why he saved you. That's not why he gave you grace. He gave you grace so you could make it through the minefield of your flesh and the inflammatory overcomings of your sin. And you can still walk to the front of this building with arms raised and a voice uplifted and say, Lord, I know what yesterday looked like, but today I'm in the canopy and the covering and the power of your grace. You see, his saving work of grace always outpaces my sin. If you read the rest of Hebrews 7:25, I have I wish I had. Can you give me a few more minutes? Hebrews 7:25 says he has always lives to make intercession for us. What does this mean? John actually said it this way in his first letter. He says, We now have an advocate. Everybody say an advocate with the Father. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ. What is it? It says, notice he doesn't stop there. He says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, not only is there grace to save us and deliver us, there's grace that is keeping us. See, I said grace is keeping you. Your own righteousness is not keeping you. I said, your own goodness is not keeping you. On your most holy day, you still need grace. You want to know why mercies are due every day? It's because we need new mercies every day. No, 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 you didn't hear me. I said, on your best day, you still need God's grace. I said, on your most holy moment, you still need his mercy. On your best times, you still need his righteousness, not your righteousness. It's his blood that saved you. It's his death, burial, resurrection that gives you brand new life. And that's what's keeping you. I said, that's what's keeping you. Every day you wake up, there should be a shout in your prayer. The word advocate here, and I don't want to get too technical, but I want us to understand. I think everybody understands when I say advocate. How many of you have heard that term before? A legal advocate. A rights advocate. In our world with our son, a special needs advocate. An advocate for the aged. An advocate for the impaired. There is the word here. And the Greek is written. It says, it's actually perikletos. This is the closest that they could get to this word. And in fact, in the Latin, the church fathers, the other church fathers... Even moved it one step forward. And this is how we get our English word. The English, the Latin word is advocatus, where we get our word advocate. Why are you saying all that? Because the Greek word cannot be pinned down to one meaning. Sometimes it means comforter. Sometimes it means helper. Sometimes it means counselor. Those of us who are under, remember the discourse uh, of the upper room in John 14 through 16 before Jesus goes to the cross. What does he say? He says, I'm promising what? A helper, a comforter. Why is this important? Because John goes immediately in First John and says that Jesus is also the propitiation for my sins. And that simply means that he has turned, that Jesus has turned away the wrath of God toward my sin through his death on the cross. So now the idea, and here's the point of the message. Now the idea of advocacy has a deeper meaning. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus now has a deep solidarity and feeling for what we're going through. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't know what you're feeling today, but the Lord feels it. He shares with us the experience of the human condition. Even though he was without sin, he knows what it feels like to experience pain, weakness, hunger, loss, rejection by his own family. And since he knows it, hear me very carefully, he draws near to me. I am unrighteous, but he is righteous. I am filled with failure, but he has never failed. I am not holy, but he is perfectly holy. I am unloving, but he never stops loving. I am unforgiving, but he is the embodiment of forgiveness so when I'm weak and I'm sinful grace comes alongside of me as an advocate before God and grace says hey hold on Don't look at his imperfection. Look at my perfection. Why? Because Jesus has now become the righteous one who is the advocate. In other words, he is standing on my behalf. When we fail, his grace on our behalf rises higher. His advocacy speaks louder than my failures. I know that you sin, but get back up again. Whatever you do, don't throw in the towel. I know that you're weak in your flesh but lean on me I'm right here beside you he cannot bear hear me very carefully he cannot bear to turn away from us Say, Brother David, you don't know the ugliness of the sin in my life. But yes, I don't know that. But I know the ugliness of the sin in my life. And Jesus has never turned his face away. I said, Jesus has never turned his face away. It doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done. Jesus is here today standing face to face in his righteousness and saying, why don't you lay it down on the altar? Why don't you lay it down on the altar? What if he knew exhaustively just how fallen we were? And yet at the same time was able to make a better defense for us than we could ever do ourselves. Are you, are you making excuses? No, I'm not making excuses. I'm not ignoring your sin. But let me tell you something. All I want to do is point you to the sufficiency of His grace. You see, if we could get this today before Thanksgiving holiday, we'd be free. We'd be free from the need to bolster our own sense of self-worth through self-contribution and self-righteousness. While we are painfully aware in the subconscious of our own shortcomings and weaknesses. See, when we choose to sin, hear me very carefully, because I want to clear this up. Grace is not a license to sin. When we choose to sin, we are forsaking our true identity as a child of God. And yes, hear me very carefully. Pastor preached this a few weeks ago. We will disappoint God with our sin, but we will never be forsaken by our advocate. Man, I hope we can get this. We cannot minimize our sin. You can't even make a good defense for your best sin. We must acknowledge it and take our sins to the altar. See, some of you have heard that there were things in your life that you'll never be forgiven of. Some of you have been mishandled by other people through abuse. And shame has locked you into a closet of secrecy and pain. Some of us have deep pockets of something that we're still dealing with in our life. Dependence on alcohol or drugs or pornography. Gluttony. Lost temper. Your anger over and over. Some of us are people pleasers and... It looks like niceness to others, but it's really a cover-up of the fear of man. And that entrenched resentment busts out into somebody's life through gossip and hate and words that are destructive and not healing. The inability, some of us are dealing with the inability to forgive people who are in our very families because you are afraid to be hurt over and over Again, so we can look at all these different people in our life and we can say, oh yeah, I don't sin like that. But let me tell you something. We still sin. So what we should do, brother Cameron, is we should look at the people in our life and say, if he can save Cameron, then he can save me. But in the middle of all of this chaos. In all of the flood tide of what seems like condemnation, the things that flood into our life, I want you to look in the middle of the courtroom of your sin. And there's your accuser, Satan. He's standing. He's accusing you. He's reminding you of your past. Your addictions, your brokenness, your unforgiveness all of the things. But there in the middle of the accuser's testimony is Jesus standing tall as our comforting defender in the middle of my mess. And he's standing there and he's saying, don't look at the mess. Look at the Messiah. Don't look at their imperfection. Look at my perfection. Don't look at their unrighteousness. Look at my righteousness. Why? It's all because of grace. If you're here today and you have encountered that grace, the grace that only God gives, I want you to stand right now as we close. Amen. See, if we believe the message of grace to be true. And I hope that we will. There should be three things that we should do in response. Number one, we should live a life of holiness. I know that's an old-fashioned word, but it's still a biblical word. Titus says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. It teach, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. I've already said it, but I'll say it again. God does not, grace does not give us the freedom to sin. It gives us access to a holy God and we have access to that holy God that God is calling us to say no to the things of this world. The second thing, if we understand this grace, you've all stood because you said you've encountered this grace. The second thing that we must understand, and this is going to help you this week, is it should help us to respond to others in grace. See, we love to talk about grace until we have to extend it to other people. Especially those whom we think have wronged us. Show me a person who cannot show grace. And I'll show you a person who has forgotten what grace has given them. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The last thing that we should do, and we should do it today, as we leave this place today, if we believe in this thing called grace, it should move us into a mission. To tell other people what should be our response if we understand the message of this beautiful bounty of grace. Invite someone else to the table. See, in this world filled with division, we don't need to build more walls, we need to build longer tables. Amen? What are you saying, David? I'm saying we need to invite more people. What if they don't look like me? They don't talk like me. They don't even look like they ever thought about ever being saved. You let God sort all of that out. What do I have to tell them? You have to tell them, look, say, hey, man, I'm just a beggar and I know where to find bread. Right? Right? I know we're not beggars, but you understand what I'm saying. The message of grace should be so transformative in our life that we absolutely cannot not tell what God has done for us. Anybody been saved by grace? Anybody been changed by grace? Raise your hand right now all over the front of this building. Lord, we're entering into Thanksgiving week. It'd be real easy. Just like Cameron said earlier, be real easy for us to forget what you've done for us. I'm preaching to a group of people here. They've heard this message. Be real easy for us to walk out and say, man, I'll make it Tuesday and get another fill up climb into this week your presence your power has been in this room all day long and if we have nothing else to be thankful for nothing else to be grateful for i know there's families here i'm not blind to the fact lord that there's families and individuals here that have gone through tremendous pain hurt loss this year and thanksgiving's going to look a little different not blind to that but here's what I know your grace can fill every empty place in our life so I just want to call out to those that are struggling today those that are hurting those that have a need in your life that maybe it's something you've been wrestling with for years and years could you just walk to the front of this building Could you be brave enough to step out? Maybe those of you that are here and you're dealing with loss. You don't know how you're going to make it through Thanksgiving and Christmas. Could you just step out and make it to the front of this building? Our prayer team's coming. We're going to pray with you. Maybe there's something in the deep recesses of your life that you say, God can't forgive me from. I can't get over. No, grace is here to extend you a hand and say, "Nope, you can leave this place a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's the greatest expression of God's grace in your life. Today's your day. Now, how many of the rest of you will say, you know what, I'm thankful for God's grace, so I'm going to walk to the front of this building and I'm going to raise my hands before I leave one more time before I go into this week. Can you just join us around the front of this building? If you're thankful for grace this morning, would you come and pray with those that are dealing with loss, that are dealing with hurt, that are dealing with pain? Come on. If you're here and you're thankful for grace, I encourage you, I invite you to step out and say, Lord, I'm here with my hands lifted. something. Cameron, can you can you walk over here and help me just real quick? I know he'll let me do this. Cameron just suffered a loss. I think we all know that. I want him to stand in for families who've suffered loss. If you've suffered a loss and you'd like for us to pray with you, I'd l- I invite you down here too. It's all right, but that Cameron can stand in. If you're here today and you've suffered a job loss or a broken relationship that you want God to heal, and move could you just move toward the center of this room could you do that how many of you got some family chaos you need the Lord to heal between now and Christmas come on just move in see we could just start going down the line we'd all be up front right but the word loss is heavy in my mind how many of you experienced financial loss this year Anybody, I'd love for you to come to the front of this room. We're going to pray for you. We're going to keep singing. If you got to go, we dismiss you. Don't forget Tuesday night, Thanksgiving service, communion. We want you to be here tomorrow night. We'll be celebrating the life of Brother Johnny Marino. All those announcements. But if you got to go, we love you and have a great Thanksgiving. But God, I believe, still wants to do a work in some people's lives. Amen? So if you're here today and you love the people around the front of this building, could you help me join in and pray? Come on up here, bud. Come on up here. Right now. Brothers. Come on. Come on right now. Right now. Right now. Grace. Feel these spaces, God, right now. But we don't understand. Feel. Feel right now. Feel this space. Feel this space. Every need be met right now. Every financial space. It's your grace, Lord. It's your grace. It's your grace right now in Jesus' name. I pray the bounty of God's grace be upon this life right now. I'm yielded to you, God. I receive everything that you have for me, God, right now. Peace and passeth all understanding, God, right now. That's it, that's it, that's it. God's want to do a work right now. God's doing a work right now, right now, right now. Come on, ladies, help me pray right now. Work God that you only you can do, God. Do a work that only you can do, God. Life. So Jesus. Every breath, with Jesus. Every that I Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, God. I Jesus. Your grace, oh God. Saturate this family, God. Thank you for your healing power, God, right now. Total healing, total healing, total healing, God, right now. I receive what you have for me, Lord. I receive what you have for me, Lord. I receive what you have for me, Lord. I receive what you have for me, Lord, Lord. right now. Jesus' name. I'm not you have been faithful. Hallelujah. No, no, no. Carlton I'm going to pray for you I'm going to pray we're going to pray for you that God's going to restore okay. can I get some men to help me pray real quick Go pray for Brother for Carlton's business God's going to restore everything that's broken everything he's lost you see his faithfulness God ah. I To you, Lord. We lay it on the altar. It's the pieces of our life we lay it on the altar. Restoration, restoration, restoration. Every piece, every dollar. Right now, God, in Jesus' Thank you, Jesus. 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 We love you. We love you. We can't wait to see you Tuesday night. God, great.
1: Okay sir. I to my dog. I'm you <laughs> I mean, yeah, a you know... I think it's <laughs> a good I patients so, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you